0: You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network.
1: Hi, this is Bob Budiansky, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast.
0: Hi, everyone. You're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast, and we're going to be talking about Transformers Classic Volume 1, covering a period of Transformers from 1984 to 1986. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. I'm your Transformers host, Peter Haw. And Peter, this is the first time that you uh, are, are on a podcast. Is that right? Yeah, that is. <laughs> so this is great. And I, I specifically came to you. We go way, way back.
2: Yeah, we've known way. you since
0: like grade one. Something like, like that. Yeah. 87. And I've always known that you have always been a Transformers fan. Huge. So when I was like, I think I want to do Transformers, like a Transformers um, podcast, uh, like a sub series in in the Epic Marvel podcast, I'm like, you're the guy that I want to do this with for well, sure. That's really flattering. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. <laughs> um, and so, did you did you read these comics when you
2: were growing up? So my uh, family friend, he was a courier for uh, magazines, and he would always give me uh Transformers comics all the time. Wow. And so I'm um, I mean, I was really young so I didn't really read that much but I remember looking at the pictures a lot. And I, I had a ton of issues and when I got older I st- was able to f- actually reread them. And uh yeah, so I've had them since the beginning.
0: That's really cool. And I know that um when I visited I don't know, it was probably like a year ago and I saw all of your Transformers classics on the shelf and I've never read Transformers comics myself. I watched the TV show, and I watched the movie and stuff, had a bunch of the toys, but I never read the comics. And I think one of the main reasons is because it was just a comic based on a TV show. And I was like, I'm only reading Marvel superheroes. That's my thing. Like, forget all of the the licensed stuff. I never read, you know, even though Micronauts was really popular and um, all all of the – I don't know. I never never touched that stuff.
2: Yeah. It was also – it's also – less accessible because when you have a television show that runs for a half hour time slot and you make every episode more or less self-contained you're trying to make it accessible to a wide audience with the comics you'll notice that when you read these comics it's very serialized and if you are not able to buy the issue that comes out every month you lose track of what the story is and i think that's a it's hard for younger kids to get into the comics because sometimes you'll be picking up an issue and it'll be in the middle of a, a story arc, you have no idea what's going on.
0: Yeah. Well, it was one of the things that Jim Shooter always tried to to do when, because he was the editor-in-chief at the time uh, when these Transformers comics came out. He would always try to make sure that there was all of those little editor notes like this happened in this oh, issue yeah. <laughs> and all that kind of stuff so that people who were just jumping in would be able to figure it out. And that's why this era... Um, there are a lot of flashbacks. Lots of flashbacks, um, yeah. because be, for that very reason. Yeah. But I also think that's why graphic novels are so popular now, the mm-hmm. collections, because the, the you actually do get a full story in a graphic novel.
2: Well, that was the other thing too, because like if, if I was uh, if for whatever reason I missed an issue because I couldn't get one that month or it's missing the collection, you, you, it's gone. There's it, back in the 80s, yeah. we didn't have the internet to find back issues. You either had to be lucky and find it in a store had a friend who had it you could borrow it but that was it that's what I mean, that's or a, um you you remember in the
0: in these comics there would be advertisements from like mile high comics or something oh yeah like that. yeah you, so yeah, but i was not, never old enough to yeah, like you had to like own mail away credit I remember card it was, or, it was in the back whatever.
2: and you had to cut i think if i see i, I don't remember I, I remember you had to cut out the back page was that a thing it was like uh, something it was like a check yeah. something like that i remember yeah i mean obviously you could have photocopied it but i remember oh yeah you can order all the, these back issues not but, cutting up my no. comic book <laughs> well, it was, it was, no it was like it, 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 the old ones that had the uh, the the app the advertising in, the inside you know for like oh the yeah. sea monkeys and stuff like that they were cut out yep uh, yeah <laughs> i ruined a couple of spider-man comics with my silly putty too i remember we, we trashed our comics we never i don't know i don't yep. know did you, keep, did you take care of your comics um
0: there were some that i took care of and others that i definitely did not care- take care of
2: i know I, and, and some of the ones i did not take care of i'm like oh shoot i should have taken care of that one (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: i yeah i think i had i'm pretty sure i had a first appearance deadpool but no one cared about deadpool no 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 and i i might still have it but i'm sure the cover is off and you know the pages are dog tagged and or dog-eared or whatever
2: that's the thing though we we loved our comics like i mean that is what they were for they're for little kids to read no I mean these days, I mean there was that period was it the 90s when everyone just started collecting mm-hmm. these like foil yep. special yep. editions cuz they were going to be worth money and then they weren't worth anything cuz they made like a trillion copies of them or whatever.
0: Except for the first appearance <laughs> of Deadpool. <laughs> it's worth a lot of money now. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Well, let's get back to Transformers here. <laughs> Um, I had the privilege of talking with Bob Budiansky. Awesome. Who is uh, the creator of many of these Transformers. And when I say creator, I don't mean like he created the toys. But the toy company came to Marvel and wanted Marvel to come up with the character profiles for all of them. This is what happened with G.I. Joe as well. They did the same thing a few years before this. They went to Marvel and got Larry Hama to write all of the character profiles for G.I. Joe. And so... You got to check out the documentary, um, the toys that made us.
2: That was fantastic. Yeah, there's an
0: episode all about the origin of Transformers, and it is
2: just uh, it blows your mind. It's just the 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 way it unfolded, it's just nuts. The episode itself is really well executed too. I, I mean, I've heard, I've read the origin story, but never in a very well uh, thought out and planned one hour special like that i mean that anyone who doesn't know anything about transformers could learn all of it in an hour and it's fantastic
0: and so they do go into uh their relationship with marvel comics and the legend goes that they um they, they went to jim shooter because he's of course in charge and jim handed it off to denny o'neill who is a famous guy uh, most notable i think for reinventing batman with neil adams uh, batman and green arrow and uh, kind of making Batman, kind of bringing him up to date and bringing him out of the whole Adam West stereotype, I guess, <laughs> making him more serious. But he was working for Marvel at the time, I think, doing Daredevil, gave it to, uh, gave it to him. But Denny O'Neill did not grasp the concept of Transformers, and and uh, they kind of didn't use anything that Denny had come up with except for the name Optimus Prime. That's the only thing they kept. Mm. And so Jim then took it upon himself to come up with a lot of the other stuff and then handed it off to Bob Budiansky to flesh out all of these character profiles. He, he was on the bottom of the totem pole at the time, wasn't he? Like He was a staff editor and a staff writer. He'd been around from the... since like the mid-70s or so. But um, like, yeah, I mean, he was just a... A working guy, comp- comp- like he wasn't the editor in chief or
2: anything. I mean, this like was that. this is a this is a uh, a toy franchise they were trying to make into a comic, and these aren't really these aren't really high profile at Marvel, if my understanding is correctly. Like
0: <laughs> in the documentary, they <laughs> they stick in a little clip from Larry Hama, who was interviewed for the GI Joe episode, uh, which is also a fascinating episode. Yeah, it was. Um, and then and he just says nobody wanted to work on licensed toy books, like that was. That was you'd be embarrassed to work for them, <laughs> and he's poking fun at himself because he the he has made he's still writing GI Joe to this day. His GI Joe stories are amazing,
2: by the way. I don't know if yeah. you've done yeah, I've read a handful yeah. of them,
0: but that's about it. Yeah, um, but they, it so so p- people just kept on passing on it. Nobody wanted to do it, but Bob did it, um, and he apparently he had to turn it around in like a weekend or something like that. But so I got a chance to talk to Bob and this seems like an appropriate place to splice in a little bit of what he said about um, the origin of of transformers the initial storyline by the way was not mine it was uh former marvel editor-in-chief
1: jim shooter he he initially developed the uh the, the storyline that was the basis of everything to come on the transformers
0: and that was the basis of the original Forushu miniseries right and yes very much so yes and you were editing that yes. miniseries at the time right Yes. Yes. So I was, um,
1: I was a staff editor, and uh, given that I had already been involved in developing the Transformer profiles and names for the initial twenty-six, uh, I was a natural choice to edit the four-issue
0: miniseries. Now, what does it take to get a comic book off the ground, uh, from your from your perspective as editor?
1: Well, there's there's several different factors. So the, the first factor is you get You have to have the company agree to publish it. So now in this case, Marvel had already made a deal with Hasbro as it had been making a lot of deals in the 1980s with lots of, lots of partners, whether it be toy companies, movie companies to adapt their movies. Uh, eventually we did a, we did a deal with the national football league, but anyway, so this was already a pre-established arrangement that we were going to do a four issue mini series, uh, as we had done just a few years earlier with uh, GI Joe and Hasbro, so this kind of followed the same template. So that was a given. Okay, we're doing so that had gone through that process of being, you know, greenlighted to become a four issue miniseries.
0: So I know for you who are regular listeners, I usually follow the Epic Collections, the Marvel Epic Collection line of, of books as our guide. But since uh, the licensing for Transformers is currently held by IDW. Marvel can't put out Transformers Epic Collections. So we are going to be following the Transformers Classics line from IDW. This is Volume 1. And uh, Peter, what issues are contained in here?
2: Um, This follows the first couple of years. Uh, It goes from Issue 1 to 13. Now, if I recall correctly, this was only supposed to be a four-issue miniseries.
0: Right, um, but yes. it was so
2: popular they just kept it going. Actually,
0: I have a clip of Bob talking about that as well.
2: Nobody was prepared for the success
1: of the Transformers at Marvel. So, of course, you know, from Hasbro's point of view, they're launching a brand new toy line. They're hoping for the best. They don't, but really, they don't know either. But the um, the comic book, the toy, the uh, I guess the animated series on, on television, everything took off you know spectacularly. So when the sales figures started coming in, Marvel. Decided. I don't remember exactly when, but I think it was sometime during issue four because we came up with a different ending. Marvel decided to continue it into issue five and make it an ongoing series. And in fact, I didn't remember this until somebody pointed it out recently. We had an ending to issue four where everything got resolved. And when at some point we were told, "No, this is going to be a continuing series," we changed the ending from issue, from we changed the ending in issue four from this. This you know complete resolution of everything to a cliffhanger ending, uh, so it can it would it would lead into issue five, uh, and the only reason I, I I'm aware of that even though I was the editor of it way back when is that somebody pointed out to me recently that the original ending uh, got printed in England, like we would ship over our, our, our copies of our film to England and they would reissue our comic books for uh, the British market, and so uh, when the change was made the comic book was already done the film went out. And and so the change that was made here in the US never made it into the English version. So the English version actually comes to that complete ending. Oh
0: wow. And somebody
1: um <laughs> sent me uh an some somebody, somebody sent me an image of that recently and I said, Oh, I forgot all about that.
0: Wow, that's amazing.
1: So so it must have been a last minute thing because we we did finish the uh the original ending.
2: There's actually a gag. Um yeah, when it says uh, the very last issue of the uh, of the original storyline, it says at the t- at the very top, it says issue 80 in a four issue limited series. <laughs> that, they did that in the last issue. I love
0: it when they poke fun of themselves like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just an amazing thing. Like he said, in the clip that I, I played, it was just it took off. It was so popular that they originally had to have a, they just changed the ending. So, yeah. What do you think about this book? The, the whole line of Transformers classics?
2: Like I said, I had the issues here and there. I had a few of the storylines. And I remember as a kid, you can't buy them all. or I, I didn't have access to all of them. So I, I remember there was a bunch of times where I was missing storylines. And and then when I saw them coming out with these classic volumes, and I I specifically read that the, every single issue was going to be printed. Because I know they've reprinted these issues before in other yeah, volumes. Yeah, actually,
0: we should specify. IDW, um, several years ago, released what's called Transformers Classic. And this one's Transformers Classics, Volume oh, 1 to 7. Yeah, difference. it has the S on the end it's there. It's like Aliens. Um, so Transformers Classic is missing a few issues that had some legal issues with with uh, Marvel trademarked characters. Uh, one of them being Spider-Man, which is in this volume, and another being Circuit Breaker, who was also in this volume. Did they ever
2: have a problem with Nick Fury? Nick Fury was in one... Oh, wait, was that the, that was the same issue? That's the same issue. issue. The same That's issue. the That's
0: Spider-Man issue. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so they... but. Marvel has a huge relationship with IDW right now. In fact, um, it was just recently announced that IDW is going to be publishing all ages comics with Marvel characters, with Spider-Man, which is just crazy. Oh, wow. But uh, yeah, so they, they have a lot of, uh, they have a good relationship. So these Transformers classics, plural, has everything in it. The Spider-Man episode, the Circuit Breaker issues, and all of that stuff. It's
2: all there. So it it was one of those things where it's like okay we're we're in our we're middle aged now we have jobs we have money, and it's a chance for me to get the stuff that I didn't get to have as a kid. So I'm like if I can oh, get yeah. every single issue of Transformers, then yes I'm on board. So I, I ended up getting all of them, and it is great uh, being able to have a complete set of books like that. And, oh yeah,
0: I think I said there were seven volumes, but there's actually eight,
2: right? Uh, yeah, the eighth one is more. It's it's an entire collection. So what they've done is, when you used to buy these comics, um, they would have the uh, the episode in the issue, but usually in the back they would have uh one or two character bios. And what they've done is they have they have not put any of those bios into these uh, volumes at all until the very last volume eight, and they put every single character bio into the volume eight. I think that's what they did. That's pretty handy. If you <laughs> yeah. if you can't like if you, myself, all volume eight. <laughs> well, it's just like if you
0: get volume eight, there are so many characters, in an insane book, amount, and every issue just adds more and more because they kept on releasing more and more toys. And if I just like, I I don't know the, half of these characters' names, and so having that book is actually kind of
2: helpful. It is. <laughs> you know, it's funny track. when you mention that too, because th- that was one of the I guess one of the downfalls maybe you'd say of of uh, as a comic for this particular series because they kept coming out with so many characters and you forget that these issues come out once a month it's not a weekly kid show this is coming out once a month so in one month they have a lot of new toys coming out and so if you're in the middle of a say a five issue story arc that's almost half a year using the same characters you're not selling many toys that way so you'll notice that uh as the series progresses, it almost seems like they have a new character every issue. You're like, "What is going on here?" I want more development. And you're like, "Well, no, you can't, because I just had the next generation of Transformers come out. I have to have more more spotlight put on them." Yeah, for sure. I think the uh, the, the voice actor Bumblebee complained about that. It's one of the things he hated was the fact that uh, you're making a a story about trying to sell toys, and sometimes you just can't you can't have that character fleshed out. <laughs>
0: I asked Facebook if anybody would want to uh, leave any comments talking about the, this collection of Transformers, and I got a few comments here. Bruce says a few years ago at a con, a pal and I met Herb Trimpy, uh, and Herb does one of the issues in this book here. My friend, um, my friend, got one of these omnibuses signed for his son. Trimpy was writing uh, this very nice note on the cover, and halfway through, he realized he's running out of space. It's a truly funny and great memory. <laughs> so not a whole lot to say about about the book itself but it's a it's a nice memory It's, it's really good and nick says i it's a great introduction to the characters megatron felt ruthless and starscream was his usual treacherous self from the beginning the bigger surprise was how powerful shockwave was and how ready he was to lead the decepticons
2: yeah that was um one of the things you told me was that you did not know that this was a completely separate storyline from the TV show.
0: Yes, that completely surprised me.
2: Yeah, uh, I remember um, there are like some comics end up being a supplementary to the the main television program. This I remember as a kid. A lot of things shocked me about this. A lot of uh, a lot of the characters are drawn differently than from the television show, um, as well as some of them have very uh, different personalities. I noticed as well. They have some similar some very different and i notice that all the characters um, it's a lot more grim in the comic this is a surprise how powerful shockwave was yeah and i remember when i first read this cuz in the in the television show shockwave is like megatron's i, I don't want to say second in command but he's definitely a high ranking uh, officer and he stays behind on on uh, cybertron and helps megatron whereas in this comic book he is basically vying for power with megatron they're they're adversaries in this one So I I remember that was really unusual as a kid, not knowing that these were different universes. I mean, you figured it out eventually, but yeah.
0: Well, I think this is a time for yet another clip from Bob Budiansky.
1: So let me tell you about my relationship to the cartoon. I've never watched an episode. Okay. So that that kind of sums that up. But the one connection I have to the cartoon is I was still creating all the character profiles and naming everybody. So anything that I would turn in would eventually go to Hasbro for their approval. And on, on occasions, they would ask for changes for this or that reason, typically on names because they would have to go through a legal process to make sure the names cleared and I could use them uh, to name a character or they could use it on a toy box. But once everything got approved uh, that I turned in, that material got then sent over to uh, Sunbow Productions, who produced the animated series, and then they did whatever they wanted with it. They, you know, If they wanted to use the characters the way I profiled them, then fine. If they wanted to do something different then they did something different i have no clue mm, so we did not coordinate beyond the beyond me providing the profile information and the right. names. so as i as i understand it the first year the, the uh, animated series and the comic book were similar in the sense that they they had a common um uh, setting you know which was i guess with earth and the wiki family and so on and then i believe after the first year of the animated series they changed it radically. They moved it off of Earth, I think, or they, you know, I don't know. They did something, mm-hmm. and I was asked by Hasbro, "Do I want to follow the, the, this new continuity that the animated series was creating?" And I said, "Well, if I don't have to, I'd rather not." And they said, "Okay, that's that's fine." So I didn't. I went my way, and the animated series went their way.
0: We also have a comment from James, and he says, "It should be noted if you're not aware." The end of issue four was a total shock, as we had no idea it was going beyond the four-issue limited series. And yes, we've already mentioned that. Um, also, Soundwave's infiltration on the the aircraft manufacturing plant a few issues later was epic. In so many ways, these early issues went against what was expected. The villains win. Uh, the only hero left is the medic. This was not how a tie-in comic was supposed to be. It treated its audience with a higher level of maturity than the TV show. Again, at least in these early issues.
2: I think that might also be um, the fact that these are robots. They never, these are the early years. They never talked about the Autobots or something having sparks or, or, and it seemed like they were able to make them, they were able to repair them. So I think they could kill them if they wanted to. With the back knowledge that if they ever had to bring a character back, it wasn't a a dire event. I don't know if that makes but any at
0: sense. But at this point, they're trying to sell the toys, though, so I don't think they're going to kill anyone off. In a few years from now, when the toys had run their, their thing and the cartoon is over and they're, the comic is still going on, I bet they'd have more leeway to kill off characters if they wanted to one
2: thing i did notice as a kid though is that uh in these comics though there's no one decisive battle where lots of characters die i do notice well sorry that does happen but i do notice that every now and then they'll just kill a character off like a a main character you might see on the tv show all the time they just get killed and they might have like a one sentence devoted to oh so-and-so just got destroyed that's it (laughs) and (laughs) and you're like oh okay but that's true, though. I mean, th- th- these were designed to sell comics. It would be kind of heartbreaking as a kid if that toy you begged your parents for to get you, that character suddenly died.
0: Well, hello, Transformers the movie. Yeah, I know, I
2: know. <laughs> uh, one thing, uh, that, that, that was actually a really good marketing play, I noticed as well, because um, when you saw a character in the comic or on the show, you wanted that toy Absolutely. And if you bought a toy that wasn't in the comic, you were so excited when that character showed up in the comic or in the TV mm-hmm. show. So it was almost like a cyclical thing. Like...
0: Okay, little story. My favorite Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle character is Ace Duck because, oh, yeah. because I had the toy. Yeah, yeah. And you know how many episodes he showed up in the cartoon? Like one. He was um, briefly shown on a TV screen in one episode. That was it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But I was thrilled when I saw that. Yes. <laughs> Okay, so I ran a Twitter poll. Um, I love to put Twitter polls in, in every one of my episodes here. So the question I asked is, um, in the cartoon, he's called Spike. In the movies, he's called Sam. In the comics, he's called Buster. Which do you prefer? twelves sure probably Spike. 12% said Buster, 13% said Sam, and 75% of the votes went to Spike. Of that's course, right. it's yep. Spike. That's, that's <laughs> the... You, How many times
2: you hear Sparkplug with Spike?
0: Yeah, right. (laughs) Spike. (laughs) Well, I think yeah. uh, Out of the hierarchy of of Transformers canon, the cartoon is kind of the the top. Yeah, I mean,
2: the cartoon is what I think most of us will remember. It had you know it's the music, the sound, and as as a kid, if you especially if you can't really read yet, you know, you're exposed to that television show. I mean, of course, that's what you're gonna remember. Yep, absolutely.
0: And that's that would be your pick, Spike. Yeah, absolutely, the Spike.
2: And I was kind of disappointed when they called him Sam in the uh, movie. I was disappointed time, as well. But like, wh- who I, no, but names I their kids Spike? I think if I recall correctly, <laughs> Sam is another character in the comics.
0: Well, I know that um, later on in the series,
2: Spike, does Spike show, show
0: up. Up, does show up, and they they retcon Buster and Spike into being brothers. Yeah. Um, but at this point, Spike is buster like that's just yeah how it is yeah but i and that's
2: part of well, uh, who named their kid buster <laughs> like, well <laughs> i think Buster's
0: a little bit better than spike
2: <laughs> no spike yeah
0: well, well and that's why i think um if realistically sam would be the the choice like the actual real name
2: yeah i guess so i mean that'd be kind of a hard sell in today's audience i think when when dreamwave
0: had the Transformers license when they were doing those I games. have all
2: those issues by the way.
0: I, I think that uh was it there that they called him
2: Sam and like Spike was a nickname or something like that? I honestly it's a sad thing even though I own all those, I don't remember because I read them once because they as pretty as they were are, they weren't the best. <laughs> <laughs> they sure looked nice though. They were so I remember when I first saw those, they looked so pretty I'm like, oh my God. Yep. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, well, I think we can probably dive into the issues here. So in issue number one, this one is called The Transformers, and it is the first issue in a four-issue limited series. <laughs> and um, now one of the things that Bob talks about in the interview, and I'm going to release this the full hour-long interview uh, in the next episode so you can all hear it, but he talks about... Uh, actually, I should just play the clip. <laughs> And then the next step was to find a team—an um, uh, editor, which was me,
1: and an artist, and a, and a writer. So, the um, Transformers uh, miniseries was odd in the sense that the initial writer that we found, uh, who was a mainstay Marvel writer at the time, uh, Bill Mantlo—many uh, yep. people know him nowadays as the uh, co-creator of Rocket Raccoon and some of the other characters appearing in the Marvel Universe movies. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, Bill Mantlo was the initial writer, a very talented individual, but. Uh, As I soon found out, uh, he burned out on writing that first issue. And um, so over the four-issue miniseries, I had three different writers, which is quite unusual. Usually you establish a team for a four-issue miniseries, and they have an overall concept, and they execute the miniseries, and, and then they go on their merry way. But in this case, that was not to be, because each writer found it extremely challenging to get their minds around this Pretty broad concept. This is, you know, basically bringing this warring civilization to Earth and making it somehow work in the in a four issue miniseries. And uh-huh. so, um, by the time the fourth issue came around, I was working with uh, uh, one of, again another Marvel staff editor, Jim Salakrup. Uh, uh, so he was working as my writer, and I was pretty much dictating the stories to the writers uh, by this point because it was it was uh, quite a Quite a challenge for them to really get it. And I, you know, I, I, I don't um, denigrate the writers in any sense. It was, it was it just that, it was just one of these things that was kind of unwieldy for, 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 for the people I was working with. Sure. So I was working much more closely with the writers than editors typically do as far as uh, plotting the stories go.
0: So this issue is written by Bill Mantlow, who people would hopefully know as the creator of Rocket Raccoon. And he had a long stint writing uh, many Marvel comics, including Hulk and um, Spectacular Spider-Man, Cloak & Dagger. He created Cloak & Dagger with a script by Ralph Macchio, who's a longtime Marvel editor and writer, with pencils by Frank Springer, who does all four of these issues in the miniseries. Now, in this first issue, the Transformers wake up after being dormant for four million years, and they explore their new world. And they just disc- they declare themselves Earth's protectors after the Decepticons attack. Uh, As the basic, like, there's a lot that goes on in this this one issue, kind of giving us the the whole history of the Civil War on Cybertron and what brought them to Earth in the first place. But um, it's a pretty big issue. Like, yes, and uh, and it's a lot of dialogue. too. Oh man, there's so much dialogue. There's and and I got to point out on page nineteen and on page 20 and 21, oh, yeah. where every single character has to introduce themselves and make some sort of quippy remark and tell what their basic kind of power or reason for being there is. Wow. Mommy, holy I want that
2: guy. <laughs> uh, it's, just, it's
0: just incredible how many dialogue balloons there are in this. And that's, I guess, Ralph Macchio. He did the script. But obviously it was planned because you can see in the layout of of the page like all of the transformers are specifically positioned so there's lots of room for the dialogue bubble uh, balloons to go
2: oh was this done the marvel way where they drew the art before they did the dialogue yes okay yeah so all the right.
0: story would come out the people would get a the the, the artist would get a, a kind of a plot an outline of what would happen roughly page by page and then the 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 artist would, Lay it out and draw it all, and then hand it over to the person who would do the script. And then the script w- person
2: would uh,
0: work with the letter and place all of the word balloons and that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah, this first issue. I mean, it it sets it's this is what started it all. And you know, you look back at it now, it's it's pretty rough. <laughs> it's pretty. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty. It's kind of a hard read. And there's some things you're like, I mean, I know what this is, and I'm happy when I'm reading this. But there's a couple of points in here I'm like, like for example teletran well they don't i don't think they call it teletran one no they don't they don't they just call it the ark which is actually another thing too they, they never call it the ark in the tv show i don't think in all the episodes i watched, i can't remember for once them calling it the ark but they call it that in the comic book and ever since then it's always been known as the ark but um the fact that it does not seem to recognize organic life forms it only seems to think that uh, the machines are the sentient life forms but then a few issues from now They'll say that uh, it recognized the dinosaurs as the sentient life forms. Oh yeah, right. So that's why they made the Dinobots. Like, I mean, that, I mean, I mean, they they the consistency. There's a yeah, there's a lot of times where they write themselves into a box in this, but they just kind of cross fingers, no one notices, and keeps going, and that's fine. I mean, they didn't really know what they were doing at this point. Uh, that's what struck me about these first
0: bunch of issues is that they are just throwing ideas against the wall, and they're going to see what sticks. Yeah, that's for and sure. and as uh, as it goes into through these next. 10 issues or so following the, the miniseries um you start to see you start to see what bob has decided is going to stick and what ideas he's throwing away yeah one of the things that was interesting is that he threw away megatron pretty
2: quickly <laughs> so um <laughs> well that, was... that's like the first issue of the ninja, ninja turtles isn't it didn't they kill shredder in the first issue Yes, yeah, <laughs> and and yet that's what kids think is like their their main adversary because that's because of a TV show. True, yeah, yeah. No, I, I one of the things you, one of the things you'll notice about this very first issue is that uh, they were using the um, the toys as the models for the drawings, and you'll notice that for a lot of characters they have the original toy look. So, for example, Bumblebee, he looks ex- more or less like his toy counterpart. His head does. And more drastically, Ironhide and Ratchet, they look like their toy counterparts, which look nothing like their television
0: incarnations. Yeah, you can see that on page 20 and 21, where they're doing that roll call. Um, They, they, yeah. And and these all just look like action figures standing on a table, (laughs) this this page here. So you can tell that uh, Frank Springer just had his toys all there, and he was drawing exactly what he saw in front of him. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Oh boy! I do want to point out the the cover for this issue number one beautiful drawing or painting by Bill Sienkiewicz, who is known for his his great his great paintings so oh yeah, um, I'm glad it. they started
2: off with a with a bang there. Oh, you notice that the Optimus is squishing what looks like a decepticon seeker so.
0: <laughs> they had
2: problems with scale from the get-go yes yeah optimus <laughs> is pretty large here yeah there those are some of
0: the other inconsistencies the the size but we'll forgive that we'll forgive that absolutely yeah.
2: so for those of you guys who have never read the comic before just so you guys know that this this ran as it was mentioned in the clip already wasn't it mm-hmm. um a couple of things that i remember as a kid before i knew that this was going to be uh separate from the tv show was it some, like when i said before certain characters are very different for example ravage the uh the mm-hmm. cassette tape yeah. actually talks right right in the comic in the tv show he uh he he just kind of growls like a cat but in the in the comic he actually talks and i thought that was uh weird as a kid the another one is uh
0: just i think soundwave just talks more like he's he's a robot of very few words in the TV show. Yeah. But he talks very freely. And, um, I try to hear that robotic voice in my head when I read his dialogue, but, um, I don't hear it, but you can't not, not in the way it's written here. When
2: I, when I read the comics, I, I have a different voice for a actually. Yeah. I, I, yeah. It Absolutely. doesn't sound like the TV show voice at all. Mainly, maybe, maybe, maybe because he does talk so much. That's like, what I think yeah, it is. Yeah. Cause I
0: try to Im- imagine that voice because it's the, what mo- the most distinctive voice in, transformers i think other than optimus i guess but yeah he talks so much that
2: you can't sustain that that sound i <laughs> guess do they do they make the transforming sound when they transform the comics when you're reading it or no oh absolutely they do <laughs> i remember when the fat first michael bay movie came out and you first heard that sound everyone in the audience was cheering <laughs> because they kept the sound effect and they have to that's one of the most <laughs> iconic things about transformers is that
0: sound Okay, let's go on to issue number two. This one's called Power Play. Um, This time, Jim Salicrup, who is a longtime Marvel editor as well, he takes over the script. And in this one, the Decepticons find out about the Autobot's fuel source. That is uh, the the Witwicky Garage. And they they attack it so that they can get fuel. Now, there's n- Energon is not a thing in the comic. No, they have not point. invented that yet. Um, but it was in the TV show. The TV show has Energon pretty quickly, t- uh, close to the beginning of the Very series. Very first episode. Yeah. And so that's another difference here. Their fuel sources, they just run on regular oil. Yeah, it or- looks or- like
2: some kind of fossil fuel. Um, it's a liquid. It's- it, it does have to be specially
0: manufactured. Bark Plug is somehow an actual genius for being able to... I don't know, process the yeah, fuel. Even
2: though he just works at a garage. I know. If not he's for some government smart, lab,
0: he once. should be making more money.
2: <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like I said, as a kid, you don't ask these questions. No, not it's, at it's all. Just, it's, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine.
0: Um, and that's another difference because he's a, he's in construction in the TV show. Yeah. Right. And he's a, um, and I guess Spike is somehow in construction as well in the yeah, TV show. They, they were on an but, oil
2: rig when they first met them. Right. Yeah.
0: But they, uh, they own a, he owns a garage just in the local neighborhood or something in this one. And uh, there's an interesting dynamic between him and Buster because Buster does not want to have anything to do with mechanics at all. Yeah, this,
2: is, this is, seems, I don't know, this seems a very opposite situation to my family. Like, the dad's blue collar and he wants his son to be a blue collar worker like him and the son wants to go to university <laughs> to pursue an education. Don't become a doctor, son. That'll get you nowhere. I know. You got to learn how to fix cars. (laughs) I think he says something like that in one
0: of of these panels. (laughs) Yeah, it's an an interesting uh, relationship between the two of them for sure. Uh, Okay, so you can tell that um, they're still figuring things out with the artwork as well because there's a transformation scene. There are a lot of transformation scenes in these early issues, like on page uh, 34 when Ravage is transforming into a cassette and jumping into the guy's man purse or whatever he has there. <laughs> uh, like they, they go into a lot of great detail later. Like you, you jump forward a few issues and it's just all of a sudden, poof in one issue, they or one panel they've transformed and you have to imagine the transformation kind of between the panels, but they do a lot of these transforming things in these early ones. And so on page 36, we see uh sky warp
2: star scream and thundercracker all transforming in one panel. I, I, as a kid, I loved looking at these panels, these transformation sequence panels, because when you're a kid, you want these toys. And when you can't have them, the closest thing you can have to playing with them is watching the panel where they transform. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And then if
0: you look on page 38, there's Starscream and Thundercracker transforming, and they reuse that exact same panel on page 50, the exact same thing, except on page 50, they're transforming from uh, airplane to robot. Rather wow! Than the other I never one. noticed that before.
2: <laughs> it's exactly the same. Not, not
0: quite. Well, it's, it's a little it's different. It's, it's obviously it's a, little... a swipe.
2: Yeah, it is. It is. Oh, that was one thing that really bothered me about this too, because they could never get the colors to be consistent on this. I mean, I. <laughs>
0: well, can you blame them? There's like it's so
2: specific. No, and I know. There's so many characters. But it was just like okay, if you look at these panels, like Starscream is blue, like, and there is red. In the panel already, so they couldn't have made him red (laughs) as opposed to it's just like yeah well and
0: that's one thing about this um, these collections is that they are using the original colors from the comics as their guide. So the colors that you see here, mistakes and all, um, they're reproduced faithfully.
2: Oh, there's actually one thing I wasn't sure if this was done on purpose or not because there's a lot of times uh, I find that in this classics compilation where there are spelling errors, and I'm not sure if it's because that's how they originally were it, printed. Yeah, it is. Is that what it oh, is? Oh, for sure. Okay. Yep, there are spelling errors. Because I was there. like, I wasn't sure if they just had a bad printing of it, and they when they reprocess it, it didn't pick up the letter properly, and they just fixed oh no, it incorrectly. I, I
0: think that they the, let, the mistakes were there originally, so they uh, keep okay. them in. Yep. Uh, okay, so go to page uh, forty-three. Uh, in the middle panel, you see Buster's friends, Jesse and oh, oh. <laughs> i don't know why he's <laughs> oh with quotation marks but anyway he's listening to his ghetto blaster as one does in the 80s on his shoulder
2: <laughs> yep
0: and he's listening uh to dazzler
2: oh yeah that, i remember i got that so think...
0: there's a marvel reference right there <laughs> and dazzler would have been brand new at the time and dazzler was um a comic that was originally going to be a movie and they were making a comic to tie into it but then the movie never happened but then the comic still did so there, But you, go. you could
2: play her in the X-Men video game, though. Yes, that's true.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, she originally, she eventually becomes part of the X-Men team when they have their role the whole time when they're like lost in Australia, I think, or something like that, or hiding in
2: Australia, because everyone thinks they're dead. Here, Here's yeah. something that really bothered me about this. Okay, so this whole thing is about fuel. Like, we need fuel, we need fuel. Okay, this is another one of those things you had to kind of forgive, but if they have problems with fuel, how does Megatron have a fusion cannon? (laughs) If he he has the power of fusion, why are we looking for fuel? I don't understand. Let's just not talk about that. We don't talk about that. that, No. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, this is another thing I like too. They sort of mentioned it in the series, uh, in the TV show, but one of the things I liked about this comic series is that this is definitely aimed at a, at an older audience. And, you know, As a kid, there are definitely good guys and bad guys. I mean, that's just the way it is. And I noticed that when these comics came out, they made more of a gray area uh, with these characters, uh, specifically Mirage. Mirage is, um, is that Transformer, the Autobot, who's able to go invisible if he wants to. But several times in these uh, first four issues, he keeps questioning their cause and mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. whether or not he's on the right side. And uh, I I remember when I first read that I'm like that's really unusual. What do you mean you're on the right, or, or, you don't know if you're on the right side? You're on the good guy's side. Well, <laughs> why would you question Optimus Prime? Yeah,
0: the the cartoon is so black and white compared to that for yeah. sure. Yeah. And I remember like reading that and I'm like
2: I don't understand. <laughs> they, they they do that quite a bit. I, I actually I don't recall a Decepticon ever having. Questioning thoughts about what they were doing was morally ambiguous or not, but
0: <laughs> they just question each other's leadership. And yeah, uh, that, but that the thing Autobots thing. do question sometimes what their motives are. Funniest panel in this whole issue is on page 55 when uh, Ravage and Megatron transform into a gun and a cassette, and then the
2: very next panel, boing, <laughs> they hop onto the planes. <laughs> That's another thing you have to not. It wonder about it anymore like wh- how do they change size? Yes. Like, where does that mass go? Apparently <laughs> that displaced. was a, <laughs> that was an issue uh they had when they were turning the toys into a franchise is because some of the toys would actually turn into life size objects like like a life size gun, like a life size gun, which is by the way. You're not allowed to bring that toy onto an airplane. Oh yeah, it looks really <laughs> real. It does. No, it did. I remember the first time I saw a kid walking on the street with it. I was jealous of the first of all. But I'm like, that looks like a real gun. It's like actually, I think it's like one to one scale. If I'm not, yeah, but, it's good. But yeah. like, yeah. Anyway, that that was the whole toy issues is because Megatron and Soundwave and Blaster, they all come from one of the toy lines that made actual life size objects. And the only way you could possibly put them into this comic. Is if you had them shrink, yeah, into people-sized toys, <laughs> with, with you know laws of physics aside, whatever they tried to explain uh, in the Dreamwave comics how this was actually possible, and oh, they yeah. did a really poor job about explaining <laughs> it. They said there was two ways of doing it. One was it was a molecular thing, okay, uh, where they were able to shrink, and but then you're like, well, if you're able to do that, why wouldn't you make all these guys massively huge or massively small, as you know, whatever, right? The other way they explained it was some transformers had the ability to shift panels and open up spaces and become really really large. Oh, by okay. Expanding so they're just themselves. hollow inside. I'm like that doesn't make any sense because you'd be super hollow on the inside. You're like what would be the anyway? Yeah, so it wasn't really. Well, then well they explained. can float in the water. <laughs> by the way, in later incarnations of transformers, they don't do this growing and shrinking thing anymore. That's that's kind of a product of the first generation, right? Yeah, that's good. Well, and and Megatron is
0: never a gun ever again. No, no, yeah, no. Well, we can move on to number three. Uh, this is uh, the third part of the four-issue limited series, and this one right on the bright on the front cover here, guest-starring Spider-Man.
2: Okay, Kurt, you got to tell me this. Do they do the cover first, or do they do the issue and then the cover after? I thought they did it that way. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they do. Okay, because this never made sense to me, because you'll notice that in this particular issue, but before we get to the storyline, is that this is the issue where they finally start drawing the characters to match up with their television counterparts. I mean, the first two issues, you'll notice Bumblebee looks like his toy. But in this issue, on page 62, very clearly, that is the television incarnation of Bumblebee. As well as uh, Megatron, if you go, sorry, back to page 61. That is how Megatron looks in the TV show. Oh, yeah and uh but when you look at the cover he has the uh, the look that he had in the first two issues
0: yeah you're right now they might be just done at the same time it's also a different artist this cover is by michael golden who is not doing the the interiors so he may not have uh the the same reference that he's using like who knows <laughs> just before we move on to the inside uh the corner box on the front cover has gears and the corner box for issue number two had Megatron, and the corner box for issue number one had Optimus Prime. And I really like this idea of putting a different transformer in, in the corner box of each cover. Um, and they have the they even have the name on the bottom there, and it's kind of a cool way to keep track. However, this stops after this issue, oh. and it's just it's just Optimus after this for for all of them. So that's kind of disappointing. I was hoping that that would continue.
2: Yeah, it's like lost where every <laughs> episode is one character centric.
0: Yeah. Uh, okay, so there is an editorial note in this collection about the inclusion of Spider-Man. Um, so I want to read this for those of you who don't have this collection, because it's very interesting. The inclusion of Spider-Man and Transformers number three was Jim Salicrup's idea. He's the one who wrote this issue um, in order to bolster the sales of the title. For not only was he the writer of this issue, he was also an experienced editor at Marvel. Unfortunately, since Transformers is a Hasbro property, this idea was initially turned down because Spider-Man was licensed to Mattel in 1984 for the company's Marvel superhero Secret Wars toy line, a tie-in with the Marvel Comics Maxi series of the same name. Marvel rectified the Spider-Man situation by telling Mattel that they would only allow the Transformers comic to portray Spidey in his all-new black symbiote outfit, which was largely unrecognizable by the general public, and while Mattel's Spider-Man action figure was clad in his standard red and blue duds, Mattel assented and little did they realize that as of issue number eight of Marvel Super uh, Marvel super Heroes Secret Wars, Spider-Man's costume was officially changed to black, and the company was forced to concoct a figure to match the change in his uniform.
2: This was one of the original issues. Uh, well, not the original, but I had this issue when I was a kid, but I had it in the, uh, the Archie Digest size. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think I have a couple of those Digest Transformers comics as well now yeah. that i think about it and i remember as a kid uh i i uh was getting these comics at the time when uh spider-man had changed to his uh black symbiote costume and i remember is this spider-man this is not what spider-man because i i you know you grew up watching the 60s spider-man right. cartoon so this is well, unusually largely, unusual largely unrecognizable yeah although in retrospect like as an adult now I, I, my favorite costume has always been the black costume <laughs>
0: Okay, so in this issue, Spider-Man lends a hand to save Sparkplug, who has been kidnapped by the Decepticons. Um, Sparkplug has is, is been, dis- been kidnapped so that he will be forced to make the fuel for the Decepticons. And Spider-Man doesn't really do a whole lot. I mean, he just kind of swings around and webs things up like he does, like he normally does. But he is really just there to try and sell the book. <laughs> He's- no, he makes his, uh, his Spider-Man quips. That's true. That's that's important. <laughs> I know. One thing here on page um, 68. It makes a note that this story takes place before Spider-Man number 258. <laughs> I like that they're really t- trying to tie this whole thing into um, the larger Marvel Universe.
2: That is, that is also sort of a bad thing because like when I read these comics, these are giant robots, you know, attacking the country you'd think if you're going to tie it in with marvel there'd be other heroes that'd be kind of concerned about this but (laughs) yeah where are
0: the avengers (laughs) where are the avengers well (laughs) but in this page nick fury is uh is on the case like he's aware of these giant lizards i mean these giant robots (laughs) and in fact he says here um this is this is still on page number 68 he says uh dum dum duggan is standing behind him and he says we got to check out what's going on in oregon nicholas and then Nick Fury says, Dum-dum, if that big green fire-starting lizard is loose again, I quit. And that's a reference to Godzilla because Marvel was also publishing a Godzilla comic at this time.
2: Oh, I did not know that. I thought I there thought was some quip about Fin Fang Foom. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's Godzilla. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. So anyway... Yeah.
0: Okay, there is let's see here p- page 58. Now you're going to have to help me out here because you're you're more knowledgeable than me. On page 58, yeah, oh, on page 59, the last panel, tape player and three cassette tapes. What are the three cassette tapes?
2: Okay. So that R- would be Ravage is one, Frenzy, Rumble and Ravage. Okay. Oh yeah, Rumble. That it they, don't, they mention don't mention Rumble, Rumble but here. also here's another thing that is interesting. In the television show um, Rumble was the main tape uh, robot that came out of uh, Soundwave, yeah. the humanoid robot. And sometimes Frenzy would show up. Now, in the sh- television show, Rumble was the bluish-gray Transformer, and Frenzy was black and red. But in the, uh, in the comics, uh, and by the way, that is also wrong, because when the toys came out, they had the names reverse, so Rumble's actually the black and red one, and <laughs> and Frenzy is the one that's blue and and gray. Yeah, and in the uh, in the comics, they've actually kept that consistent, so the comics are more in line with the with the uh, with the toy line. Okay. Yeah, and they use both them equally as much. So when one shows up, the other one does as well.
0: Oh, Okay, so they're that's why the yeah they and they look the same too.
2: Yeah. And they spe- they specifically call them brothers, too. They they never say they're brothers in the, the TV show. I, mean, I I guess it goes without saying, maybe, but they, they they affirm that. And one thing also to note about this is that uh, in the television show, whenever they were going to cause an earthquake, they, their arms would transform into these little pile drivers right. and they would pound the ground. But in the comics, they don't do that. They actually jump up and down. They explain in the character bios there's some kind of... Uh, mechanism inside their bodies that uh some kind of gears or something like that that vibrate and cause the earthquakes when they're hopping up and down okay yeah i like the pile drivers better i think yeah i do too but you, your toys couldn't do that <laughs> <laughs> but laser beak is also um a tape right yes laser beak is and also once again laser beak was the star of the uh of the television show. um, But Laserbeak did not come with Soundwave. When you bought Soundwave, you came with Buzzsaw, which is the other bird. And Buzzsaw gets just as much play in the comics as Laserbeak does. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the show, it's just Laserbeak. But do we see Laserbeak and Buzzsaw
0: transform into tapes in the comics? I can't remember.
2: Um, Well, they're there in page six. Yeah, they're here, but
0: they're not like the page before we see all of these tapes untransform and uh those two aren't there they 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 fly in beside like in the next panel yeah
2: i don't really know why they would fly maybe i don't it doesn't explain it doesn't really matter yeah <laughs> it's matter. just
0: they're still figuring things out the the all spark concept is not created yet that this is where because they're they're talking about the whole process of creation and and that kind of thing here and uh so here are just um some other instances of them not really figuring things out yet. Anyway, it was cool to see Spider-Man in here. I think that if uh, if I had my way, I'd put more Marvel characters in Transformer comics. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but then it wouldn't be a Transformers comic anymore.
0: It would just be a Marvel comic? That's okay. Okay, moving right along to issue number four. The this, epic conclusion. The epic conclusion, yes. Yeah, called The Last Stand, um, written by Jim Salakrup with again frank springer on the pencils and yeah this is this is the final issue of transformers the autobots and decepticons face off in their very first major battle
2: this played out like an episode of three's company if Sparkplug <laughs> just told them at the beginning what he was gonna do no kidding right would have happened yeah
0: <laughs> it's very true
2: Oh, I, I love I love how uh, in on page eighty five, Jazz I'll just fire a flamethrower in front of him. That, that slow. Like... in front of a human. Yeah, oh
0: boy. Well, and that has serious repercussions. Um, yeah, Jazz, and he doesn't even feel bad about it. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, you alluded to if if uh, Sparkplug had just told him what what's going on, um, he has made a special corrosive fuel that when ingested ingested by the um, by the Decepticons, they'll it, it'll like I guess rust out their or eat out their insides <laughs> and they'll they'll die. So that's what's happened here, and I love that plan. I thought it was a great plan. It was really neat to see. And we so this issue also has the the creation of the Dinobots. Now, I, I believe these issues came out bi-monthly. bi-monthly. It wasn't monthly to start off with. It was bi-monthly. So we have four issues in eight months. And so by the time the fourth issue was out, the second wave of Transformers toys was already coming out. Mm-hmm. Like The first one just did gangbusters and made a pile of money, and they rushed out the second wave. And that's where Shockwave comes from. Is a second wave Transformers, I believe. Um, and same with the Dinobots. So the Dinobots are here uh, in this episode or in this issue as well. So part of this issue is not only to continue the story and give us a good cliffhanger, but it's to introduce a bunch of characters that had just come out and, you know, we got to sell the toys. So
2: It's all about the toys, kids.
0: It is. It is. Uh, okay, so Sparkplug. We find out that Sparkplug fought in the Korean War. So he's a he's a war vet. One thing that happens in this issue is that Ratchet takes human paramedics for a ride around town. They think that he's an actual um, an actual ambulance, and so they uh, they jump in him. But it was previously established that there there, there's no steering column or anything like that or any way to steer. So. Um, maybe they, be maybe maybe uh,
2: maybe some input from buster uh had him fix that maybe <laughs> i guess it happened in between panels
0: like uh, yeah maybe <laughs> no. uh okay it also mentions that the dinobots are from the savage land
2: okay th- this is one of the things that did not make sense to me um as a kid because i guess i I, when i read this issue as a kid i did not understand i did not know what the savage land was right
0: yeah that'd be a good point and
2: um and so i'm like wait a minute they crashed four million years ago how could how could the computer have seen dinosaurs if it was only four million i knew that much because i was a dinosaur nerd (laughs) and i did not know what the savage land was until after i'd grown up and started reading x-men and i'm like oh okay this actually is really cool (laughs) i really like how they did this but like i said earlier this now contradicts earlier like if the if the computer was able to wake up and resurrect these five Autobots and turn them into dinosaurs because they scanned them as being the sentient being, then why is it when it wakes up later, it thinks that cars and trucks are the sentient being? But maybe uh, after four million years, it just wasn't working as well? <laughs> <laughs> we'll
0: go with that, sure. We'll
2: go with that. Oh, yeah, and other things, too, uh, what we got here. There's a part on page... I think mirage gets his arm ripped off i remember the kid thing oh yeah page 97 ravage rips off mirage's arm and i'm like whoa i don't think i've ever seen that happen in this tv show right yeah it's pretty good oh wait something similar happened once i remember one time uh i think sludge did an earthquake and broke one of the pile drivers off of uh rumble's arms in the tv show i remember that shocked me too yeah dismemberment's pretty Freaky for a kid. <laughs> they, yeah,
0: and they didn't do that kind of stuff in the not really, TV no, show at all. Not really, no. But that's one of the things. Like, there was still a comic code that they had to obey with these comics. But... Well, would they
2: really have to abide by them if they're robots? Could they get away with, like, more? Maybe.
0: I also don't see the comic code on the front cover at all, so maybe. Is the
2: comic code, maybe it's not on the reprints? That could be. Yeah, I don't know. But, yeah, because later on, there is some pretty brutal stuff that happens to some of these Transformers, but I figured it because they're robots they get away with it. Funny thing to note, uh, on page 99, you'll notice that Ratchet has the red medical cross on the top of his uh, ambulance mode. I found out later that, apparently, depending on the incarnation of the toy you got, you may or may not get to have that cross be on the car, because apparently, I don't, I don't know, there's some kind of... Uh, copyright on that oh really yeah oh. if you buy the uh, because recently they released a uh, a masterpiece figure of ratchet and the uh decal of that cross that you would put on them when the decal sheet has extra uh things printed on it that you have to manually remove yourself <laughs> <laughs> because they're not allowed to just have the medical cross be on the decal sheet. I don't really know why. Oh, okay. Go figure. But they made it easy. Like, that's just a workaround? It's a workaround. Oh, that's yeah. clever. It's...
0: Okay, so I, I love this. Reading this for the first time, it was a complete shock that Shockwave, and of course I know who Shockwave is, but it was a complete shock that he shows up out of nowhere and just takes everybody out. It was exciting. I loved it. I thought it was a, a great ending. Um, I knew, of course, that the series was not, that it, was, it had continued. I know about that much about the history of these comics, but I didn't know how it was going to continue, so that was just awesome. Especially since he's
2: such a minor character in the television show. He's so he, different he, here. He's very different here. And uh, that power dynamic that shows up between him and Megatron is actually a very fascinating story arc. That they play off of for quite a few issues. Actually, I think for the duration of this.
0: Uh... Yep. it the, the whole thing comes to a conclusion in issue 12. Okay, so number five. Uh, what a fantastic cover this
2: is. I think, yeah, the cover, the painting, th- uh, that is awesome. The first page, though, threw me for a loop. And I think that, <laughs> I honestly think that the first few pages are just an excuse for the artist to draw. <laughs> Different television shows
0: right so you know what the first page reference is it's the the honeymooners definitely yep
2: it's pretty good
0: (laughs) Uh, in this issue um, Shockwave repairs all of the Decepticons and assumes leadership and Buster and Ratchet um, discover the the fallen they discover the fallen Autobots and then he discovers the head of Optimus Prime it's got to be freaky just a giant head, <laughs> a bunch yeah. of, trying to talk to him too.
2: That uh, that that page, that one ten to one eleven, where you see all the Autobots dead and yes. hanging from the ceiling like yeah. pieces of meat. <laughs> that was pretty freaky. And you know, it's obviously oil or something, but you know, this looks like it's dead a stand bodies. stand-in for it's blood, blood. Yeah, I know.
0: So this is the first issue that, but um, Bob Budiansky uh, takes over for uh, writing and scripting. And it has artwork by, let's see here, Alan Cooperberg, which um, he's a longtime Marvel artist as well. But this is definitely not his best work. This, his work here in Transformers is not as good as uh, Frank Springer's work from before, and also several of the artists that we have um, coming up later on in this collection as well. Yeah, he just doesn't get the proportions or the perspective of robots well. Um, did you
2: ever try drawing these things as a kid? uh no, I didn't dare it's horrible it's is <laughs> yeah. the worst thing ever <laughs> yeah no way uh-uh. <laughs> you i mean when I tried drawing them as a kid, I mean, this was definitely the time when I think I learned the most about trying <laughs> uh angles and trying to get like just trying to draw like i I got kids in grade eight who can't draw a cube yeah couldn't imagine a you know a nine year old trying to draw one of these things well
0: well, and man, you just look at the 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 Transformers comics that IDW is putting out now, and it's just it blows my mind. Oh yeah, all of the robots and it's just the whole the whole mecha like, um the Gundams and um all of that stuff is just people who can draw that stuff is just fantastic. Yeah. There is um, Buster and Ratchet speak openly in public. Uh, they're not, and that's another thing about this this whole book is they they don't seem too concerned with concealing their their identities from the general public
2: no ratchet just kind of well not this issue but yeah they they uh there's like if people find out not a big deal
0: yeah I, uh, there's the one scene where they're camping and they come across these yeah. skiers and like we'll just hang out with you guys for a little while <laughs> this issue has the first mention of the matrix on page
2: 123 yeah they have this big plan for this next story arc, cap and they, they kind of lay the seeds here but you'll notice uh kurt uh ratchets the main character now yeah it's very crazy that um as soon as this
0: mini series is over they take out optimus optimus prime so that he's just ahead uh and then they quickly get rid of megatron and he disappears for several issues uh so we have a transformers book where the main characters are ratchet and shockwave yeah like that completely surprised me
2: for a kid who's used to the TV show, I mean, you, you see the same characters every single week. And so when you... But from a toy manufacturer's perspective, if this is the second generation of toys coming out and you want to sell them, it makes sort of sense to focus on other characters. Right,
0: and take out the other ones. Yeah, that's a good Maybe point. Maybe not
2: Ratched so much because he was the first generation. But Shockwave, yeah, for sure. Shockwave just looks cooler than Megatron too. I don't know, man. Like, one thing also about these comics... I find Megatron a lot more menacing than the uh, television show. Part of that is he doesn't have the dumb, whiny voice that he has in the
0: in the cartoon.
2: <laughs> no, it's not that. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe a little bit. But y you know, yeah, you know, it's funny how you notice how the way they draw him too. Like his face, he's got those extra lines that define uh, his cheeks, and there's something about that he looks like he looks menacing. Yeah. Just a couple of lines do that. Whereas the first couple of issues where they drew him with that more smoother face, I I don't find him as intimidating. If you go
0: to page uh, 124, the very middle panel, there is a truck, semi-truck, that has the word Stan Jack on it. Of course, a reference to Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I never noticed that before.
0: <laughs> um, you can also notice, I don't know if you notice this at all, but the robot's speech bubbles the style of the speech bubble changes in all of the previous issues. They were boxy and they'd have little um, all each of the corners of their speech bubbles had little, um, I don't know what you call electricity. them. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. But then in this one, they're, they're just regular speech bubbles, but the tail of the, the, of the speech bubble looks like a sort of a electronic or a lightning bolt or something like that.
2: They switch it back later on though. They do, yeah. And they, and they stick with that uh that squared off uh, speed bubble later on for the rest of this, the duration of the series, I believe. Hmm.
0: Yeah, and I think it's just a, the matter of a different letterer not realizing what had been done before. Although no, it changes halfway through this issue. What? Yeah. Yeah, page 120 has the squares oh, yeah. and then page 121 has the new speech bubbles? Okay, <laughs> so well, I don't know then, what's up with there that.
2: There you go. These were some of the first comics I ever read as a kid, so I just assumed that all speech bubbles were done in that square format. Oh yeah, I didn't. I didn't know till later on. Oh, people speak with round bubbles. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and actually, as a kid, I never noticed it on the TV show as well. That they had kind of this electronic sound to their voice. It's very subtle, mm-hmm. and. uh I never noticed it as a kid. I just that's the way they sounded. And now I'm watching, I'm like, oh yeah, there's kind of a kind of a buzz to their voices. No, this is this is pretty much a setup issue though. The the main uh the main story sort of happens in the next one, I believe.
0: Sure. Well let's go on to that one. Number six. This one's called The Worse of Two Evils.
2: This issue, uh, if I recall correctly, is the first appearance of G B BlackRock. Yes, that's right. And he is a major character in the series um, for the, actually the duration of the series. He's not really, uh, for these first uh, couple of volumes, he's, he plays a fairly big role. And then he kind of goes away for a while, but he's always been there.
0: Yeah, you kind of think that he's a one-off character because he just happens to be the guy that owns the oil rig that the Decepticons are going after. Yeah. Um, so in this one, Shockwave secures an offshore oil rig as the new Decepticons base, uh, because it has a limited fuel source. Well, it's a limited fuel source, but it has fuel. And um, Megatron in this one also challenges Shockwave for leadership of the Decepticons. doesn't go so well for Megatron. But, man, look how big this space gun is on page 152. It's huge. This is Shockwave <laughs> in his gun form. It's massive.
2: Oh, you mean uh, 132. One, well,
0: Yeah, 132. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shockwave in gun, space gun form is just gigantic. Yeah. <laughs> and what are these weird, like, futuristic helicopter things that these oh, guys are GB's flying? Oh, GB's got in? his own, you know, technology. True, I guess so. <laughs> So there are a couple of, there are yeah there are some really brutal things in here. One is on 140 when Buster when make, when Optimus Prime transfers the matrix into Buster. I couldn't believe it. It's like Buster Put these electrodes on your head. I'm not going <laughs> to tell, tell you why. What's go to just on. trust me. Here. I'll it's going to go fine. <laughs> 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 oh man! And then just that that brutal panel where he's being electrocuted. That one panel gets reprinted like four more times in this collection in <laughs> flashbacks. <laughs> it's like, thanks for reminding us of the worst panel in the entire book.
2: <laughs> oh boy! Giant robot head telling me what to do. Yeah, I'll trust him. I feel like they're they're making these comics for an older audience, but sometimes they, <laughs> sometimes they do things that you you kind of just gotta forgive, yeah. Like the trustiness of the humans, just like okay, sure thing, Optimus. Yeah, I mean it's for the sake of the story. Yeah, you but... can't you can't spend a, a whole issue about the uh, the morality or the the inner conflict that a character might have about a decision. You Just kind of gotta okay, sure. Um
0: the other thing that happens in this issue is that uh, on page one thirty six Josie who is um, an employee of uh, of j b Blackrock uh, gets electrocuted as well she kind of is a casualty of
2: uh, of this takeover of the oil rig she becomes a major character later but This is the issue I never had, so I never knew what her background was until I picked up these... Well, I knew what they were, but I never got to read what happened to her until I got these uh, reprints. Right. Okay. Uh, Oh, and Megatron losing. That is something that you don't see happen. (laughs) I didn't expect to see happen, him losing the shockwave like that. Yeah. Shockwave is just brutal. And like the
0: the one comment, the Facebook comment we had, um, it, it... it's, Shockwave is brilliant. This whole plan and his strategy to take over the oil rig is just great. Um, he, he's just ruthless. Number seven is called Warrior School. This one is drawn by William Johnson. And out of all of the artists in this book, I think I like William Johnson the best. I feel like he's got a really good grasp on the human characters, but also he draws the, the, the robots... Just, he's really solid. He knows exactly what to do. They're not always in the same pose. They don't look all stiff. Uh, I really like his work. Yeah, it's really good. He does two issues in this. And he doesn't actually have a big comic book history at all. He's done just a handful of issues here and there during this time frame, and then he disappears. So I don't know what happened to him, but I wish he had done more. Um, Kyle Baker is the inker and he goes on to become a very very stylistic guy but you can't tell through his inks here cuz he's very kind of standard um but he eventually goes on to uh do a lot of independent comics for um indie companies and and eventually Vertigo he's like um what are his books Cowboy Wally and uh Why I Hate Saturn stuff like that independent books okay so in this issue Soundwave and Laserbeak take control of Blackrock Aerospace. So they're going after another Blackrock uh, company. They really hate this guy. Well, maybe this guy just happens to have, have all, all the good best stuff. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and then Ratchet enters the Ark in order to save the Autobots, but comes face-to-face with Megatron. And in a surprising twist, they come to a truce to take down Shockwave. The enemy of my enemy is my friend.
2: Yep. This issue started off weird with that camping scene. Yes, this is the one we mentioned earlier. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love how the uh, the kids are like, "Oh, giant robot! Sure, okay, you want to join us?"
0: Yeah, and so and then like Ratchet is like, "What is this?" It's he holds up the campfire. It's like, "What is this?" And they're like, "It's fire." But I'm pretty sure that yeah, robots I, would know no, what fire they, is. They All of their, the, you know, they're probably made with fire, put
2: together. They, they never even see what their fire is. I mean, this is one of those things you just got to, you know, you got to forgive. Like the whole fuel thing, like what are they running on fuel exactly? Yeah. Like it, it's not, if they're converting our fossil fuels into their fuel, does that mean they have something similar on their planet? <laughs> another, and another thing, I guess we'll, but later on, they even mentioned they don't know what water is. <laughs> oh, yeah. but in this volume they do know what water is huh anyway so a lot of inconsistencies but anyway uh page 168 has a
0: reference to lee ayakocha um in the in the second panel buster says i don't think even lee ayakocha could help me jesse um and this guy is the ceo of chrysler at the time in the 80s and he was the the guy who spearheaded the Ford Mustang in the 60s. So he's a bigwig in the car world. But I had no idea. I had to Google that name. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a very text-heavy issue. There's a lot of um, explanation going on, especially page 174. There's a lot of text on there, um, a lot of exposition of uh, them just telling us what's going on. Um, and the Not one... as bad as the first issue, though. No, definitely not. So there's an interesting concept here called the right of oneness. It's kind of like a blood oath, but they have they they make a pact to work together, and if
2: they betray it, they they die. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, this is um they never did this in the television show. They they've had other customs brought up. Um, this one, what I find interesting about this is that Megatron actually goes into this agreement, and spoiler alert, he actually follows through with the he does yeah right so and and ratchet doesn't (laughs) which means that megatron has some sense of honor uh and he's not he's not a hundred hundred percent (laughs) evil he's got to have some kind of ethical code there well i think it's more like he
0: knows the autobots too well that they're not gonna let megatron get away with what he's trying to do so he just has to sit back and wait for them to break the oath because it'll they'll have to they mm-hmm. have to break the oath because there's
2: no way that they're going to let Meg- Megatron get away with it. I find it uh, fascinating that since Ratchet is the last Autobot and he's just the medic and uh, he's on this all on his own. There is actually a sense of, uh, of desperation here that I like. Right. Yeah, he, he kind of is forced to team up with Megatron because he has no one else to turn to. That's a very good story arc for uh, the underdog and for a kid reading this I think because you are wondering how he's going to get out to get through this and I know that when it says the uh, next issue in search of Dinobots I'm sure a lot of people were excited about that because I think if I recall correctly the Dinobots were a huge hit in when the they TV were created show. in the TV show and the toy line and uh, they, they were those, shiny they, the they, toys they were, were shiny and they were dinosaurs I mean, you take dinosaurs, robots and, robots. and transformers. <laughs> you put them together. That's like that's like a that's a recipe for success with little boys. It's a gold mine for sure. Yep. Yeah. So when uh, when they first were introduced the the um, the previous few, a few issues ago, when they were first introduced and you were excited about that and now you know they're going to come back and you're like, "Oh yeah." Cuz if you recall from the TV show, those Dinobot's were dangerous. I and mean, if anything could turn the tides of this little problem, it would be them. So you were hyped on that. So speaking of the next issue, issue number eight is called Repeat
0: Performance. And in this one, Ratchet explores the Savage Land. And there's a little note down at the bottom from the editor, Jim Osley. He says, if you you veteran Marvel mavens recognize this place as the Savage Land, give yourself a pat on the back with a mastodon tusk. By the way, the events in this story precede Avengers number 257. And I didn't look up what happens in that one to see why this is so important but it really is it probably must, it, it, i don't think it is but it must have to do with the savage land in some actually, way actually you
2: know what i would like to know is i want to i want to know if any standard marvel comics ever mentioned the transformers uh i don't know it's like oh what happened at avengers hq oh this happened last issue or this issue some <laughs> in some giant robot yeah. crashed into it and this <laughs> like
0: uh, okay, what what was I saying here? Uh, Ratchet explores the Savage Land, and in order to find the Dinobots, and um, and with their help, they he they confront Megatron. Um, they come up with a cockamamie scheme to trick Megatron into thinking that they've destroyed Soundwave, or
2: sorry, Shockwave. I always make that mistake. One of the things you will notice about this is that these Dinobots, even though they are they are the Dinobots, they do not act like the Dinobots in the TV show, they are actually intelligent. They don't talk in that strange... um, Grimlock. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, I think... uh, No, not in this first year. They don't don't talk like that. I think later on, they might have retconned Grimlock to speak more like his television show counterpart, but he is not dumb by any means. Uh, He's actually very highly intelligent. And uh, at one point later, he actually becomes leader of the Transformers. Awesome
0: yeah these guys are cool I wish they'd get more play but with all of these different little subsets of transformers like the insecticons the constructicons like they are only they only come in for one issue and then disappear they never stick around which is too bad the the whole matrix thing here is obviously a ploy to just bring in the second wave of transformers
2: makes you wonder though if this why weren't the Autobots just making more Transformers that they had? The, like they they had the only way to make new Transformers, they never did. And you know, anyway, we'll, we'll forgive that one again. <laughs>
0: I don't. I think the problem was there were already too many Transformers on this planet. They just needed to get them all off of there.
2: Oh, uh-huh. well, hey, that's a good one-liner to put in there to <laughs> say why they didn't make any more. Oh, and at uh, the end, uh, we're starting to see uh, Josie, who has been in the hospital, starting to come up with some kind of plan of her own with a sinister look on her face. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah, so this is the issue where Ratchet breaks the oath by not actually following through with his end of the deal. He doesn't actually take care of Shockwave. He only uses old video footage um, of the Dinovats beating Shockwave in order to trick Megatron. So in this issue... The one who broke the blood oath or the right of oneness is actually the good guy.
2: Oh, yeah. That is weird. <laughs> <laughs> but who cares? The Autobots are
0: free. The end justify the means.
2: He wasn't going to be able to do it anyway. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Issue number nine. Disintegrated circuits. We have a new penciler, Mike Manley. This one, the inker is M. Hands. And that's always short for many hands, which means there were multiple people who inked this one. Um, Yeah, that shows up a few times in Marvel Comics here and there. uh, When I'm sure they were facing deadlines or something like that, maybe that's why they got a different penciler as well. And they just had to get whoever they could in order to ink this issue. So the inking style, if you you don't pay close attention, it doesn't really matter, but uh, you can tell different styles from page to page. This is the first appearance of a new character named Circuit Breaker. In this one, Jazz convinces Blackrock to let the Autobots help him. So they do. And then Josie breaks out of the hospital to reveal her new persona uh, and tries to destroy the Autobots um, herself. Autobots and Decepticons. And Decepticons. She, All she cannot robots. Discern Yep. The two fractions apart. Now I'm going to play a little clip about the creation of Circuit Breaker.
1: I had an idea for creating a human uh, antagonist for Transformers. I mean, to me, what made writing a Transformers interesting to me was this this duality of you know, here you have giant alien robots on one side and humans on the other side, and wherever I can find uh, some friction between them, you know, whether it was conflict or just like misunderstanding each other, not understanding the, the habits and Culture of one one party or the other party, that's where I found the area of most interest for me. So at some point, I guess uh, around issue nine, perhaps I don't remember exactly. I created this character called Circuit Breaker, who had a real bit, who had a real big grudge uh, against the Transformers because I believe she was accidentally crippled by them. And so uh, there you go. You know I, I, li- I liked the name. You know I thought it was a cool name for the time, uh, Circuit Breaker. And um, uh, the one weird thing I did, which some fans. Have asked me about over the years, and maybe you are aware of this, maybe you're not. Is that she actually first appeared in the Secret Wars two miniseries in one panel? I don't know if you're aware of that. I
0: did. I was not aware of that.
1: Yeah, and the reason for that, um, I went again. I went to my boss, Jim Shooter, who was who was who was the uh, writer on, Se- on Secret Wars, and uh, I happened to be the editor of it. I asked if we could feature Circuit Breaker for you know briefly before she appeared in Transformers. The reason being if she had appeared in transformers comic book first then hasbro would own the copyright to her so if i got her into a marvel comic first then marvel would own the copyright and then i, I had you know i had the, I had the idea in my head that you know she's a pretty good character maybe i'd want to use her down the line in something else that's not transformers uh never happened but i wanted to keep that option open right. so that's why she first appeared in a marvel comic before uh, in Marvel, Secret, in Marvel Secret Wars before she appeared in um, Transformers. But anyway, I was, wow. getting back to the bigger question, which is, you know, I wanted to have a, a human antagonist that would, you know, could hold her own against uh, the Transformers.
2: This is a well conceived issue. I like how they, uh, Jazz goes to broker a deal with Blackrock. And because they never really explained in the TV show me, the Decepticons are always trying to get energy on or, or steal resources. But you're like, well, what exactly are the exact the Autobots running on? <laughs> like, they're not stealing any resources. That means someone must be giving it to them. In the TV show, they mentioned at the end of that first uh, um, story arc that the governments of the world unite and give the Autobots what they need. <laughs> um, it's a very nice one-off explanation. But the comics, they never do that. And this actually makes sense as a way for them to get fuel. I like that relationship they have with Blackrock. I remember this issue as a kid as a really young kid and before I knew how to read, I had this issue. And I remember seeing circuit breaker for the first time and going, that's pretty hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's about it. Sure. I mean, I, and I, I, couldn't really read what was going on. I had the gist of it that she was really angry,
0: but she's got a costume. That's like closed but not closed. Yeah.
2: Clothes, but not closed. But then <laughs> I, I, and she's friendly with black rock somehow. But anyway. So now that you're, I remember uh, going through different, uh, feelings about this character. I remember when I first started to be able to read and I read what's actually going on, I remember being so angry at her when she zaps Wheeljack and... Uh, and bla- <laughs> Oh, no, she doesn't shoot Jazz, but she shoots Wheeljack. And I did not like how she thought all robots were bad. Like, no, the Autobots are good, guys. What's wrong with you? You're bad. <laughs> right? Yep. But then, you know, you get older and you're like, oh, well, she literally got brutally damaged... By this war between robots. Right. Doesn't matter if they're good guys or bad guys. I mean, I you know, now you're older, you're, you kinda see her point of view. As a kid I didn't though. And it I, I like how
0: they drive it home at the end, and BlackRock says, I'm afraid it means by being incapable of understanding, Josie's become the very thing she believes each of you robots to be. An emotionless inhuman killer. And even though she's the only one of the combatants who emerged from the battle unscathed, she is only the only one who truly lost.
2: Is she, though? I mean, I know that there are good robots and there are bad robots, but if there are no robots at all... I mean, like, <laughs> look at the mayhem
0: these things are doing on Earth, right. right? Well, only because there are good and bad. If there were no bad robots, the good robots wouldn't be causing mayhem. Yeah, I guess. This is starting to get really political now. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> We should take all of the robots' children and put them in cages.
2: Oh no, no, no. <laughs> okay, okay, won't go there. <laughs> We're not going there. We're not going. There. But hey, actually this kind of leads leads itself to you know, a kid who might be able to start seeing these things. All right, That is one thing that's neat about this is that I don't recall there being a character like Circuit Breaker in the television no, show. No, there's not. Not not Circuit Breaker, but like people that hates all the robots. Okay, I this see. May sound familiar. Maybe it was an episode, but not to this extent. Because, like I said, in the com- in the TV show, it was good guys and bad guys. That was it. Hmm. But uh, Circuit Breaker, she- you don't really know what to make of her as a kid. I suppose, like, is she? She's an antagonist for sure, but she's not really bad,
0: right? She's taking out the bad guys, but then she's also taking out the good guys. <laughs> so yeah, that is, it is confusing. That's a morally. Yeah. Ambiguous- it's like in Wreck It Ralph. Ralph is the bad guy. But he's actually the protagonist.
2: Yeah. So what does that mean? That was new for the 80s. Okay.
0: Yeah, I guess so. Uh, very postmodern. Okay, just before we move on to the next panel, go to page number 209. Yep. This panel, this page has 16 panels on it. <laughs> this is very not typical of a comic book for Marvel. It's cramming so many panels onto one page. I feel like they could have spread that out a little bit more and not have given the full-page splash on the next page to Circuit Breaker. But, (laughs) oh, well, what are you going to do? But I like how it's like you don't know what's going on. This woman in a trench coat comes to this guy's office and then throws off her trench coat.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Like I said, as as a kid, I was pretty happy about that panel. Yeah. (laughs)
0: It's awesome. It's, It's really awesome.
2: But that you know that that said though th- those panels I mean that was fairly good visual storytelling.
0: Oh absolutely yeah it's it's well laid out um, especially like because there's no dialogue.
2: Track. Yeah you don't lose track of uh, your orientation is that what the right word would be?
0: Yeah like how to read it right yeah, yeah. The, the layout is fine. There's even parts of it like there's the one panel that's red where she's flying up in the ele- up the elevator there. It, that one is kind of out of place in terms of the way you should be reading this but uh but that's i guess it's forgivable you can f- probably
2: figure it out uh you know yeah i guess. maybe i never I, I don't think i ever had i never read that panel out of order but yeah there there should be maybe another panel in there be- between her flying up the elevator shaft and her stripping her <laughs> her trench coat off
0: well there is there's the one of her reaching for the doorknob but the way it should work because the way that I oh, think yeah, you should yeah, read it yeah. is that you get the one of her stepping into the elevator. Then the guy says, "Hmm, it cleared up." Good and lord! Then the I've, way, reading,
2: I've read it the whole <laughs> read the whole yeah, time
0: wrong. Then it's supposed to be the elevator, but what you're the way I think you're you yeah. technically are supposed to read it is you would go down to where Black Black is saying, um, "Yes, Doctor," or Blackrock is saying, uh, "Yes, Doctor." And then you do the next two panels there, where she's shaking the doorknob, and, and then, then you would go do, up yeah. to the one. But that's that's not how it's actually supposed to be read no, here.
2: No, it's not it's supposed to be read feet, security guy, yeah, elevator, and then shaft, the elevator, and then the bottom three panels, and then the lower right hand corner. Yeah, panel. that's
0: right. So it's just a that part is poorly laid out, but mm. the rest of it,
2: the rest of it is fine. I guess they wanted to have more of a silhouette. If they had made that last panel a little bit lower. Right. Yeah. And then made if they, the it, elevator shaft panel exactly. the same width. That would have made more sense.
0: Yeah, because then you're creating the whole tier um yeah. with the, the the feet, the security guard, and the elevator would all be on the same tier and they would work together that way. That's uh comics one oh one for you right there. <laughs> okay. Moving on to issue number ten. Devastator. <laughs> so yeah, um I guess more characters from Wave Two. Wave two. The constructicons.
2: This was so hyped. This uh they, this had, they had a commercial just for these toys, specifically when the Cons came out. And well, every yeah. Every kid wanted them. Because they combine into a, a giant robot. And that is marketing genius, by the way, because a kid doesn't just want one of those things. He wants all six of those things. <laughs> they still
0: do it today with the Marvel Legends action figures, where each character comes with a piece of a large character. So, like, I have... Um, a giant sentinel action figure because oh, i yeah. had to buy like seven or eight action figures to get all the different pieces of the giant sentinel. i know you had to right <laughs> yes. you could not you, you can't just okay i also had galactus i had every piece except for his left foot <laughs>
2: so I, he couldn't stand up uh this was the first combiner transformer and by today's standards it's very uh obsolete way of doing it if you bought these toys as kids they would come with all these extra pieces that you would need to not lose which is really hard for a kid it's <laughs> about so managed to keep them all as you collected all six and then managed to put them all together in this really haphazard looking supposed robot but it was cool <laughs> that's the important part <laughs> yeah
0: oh, man yeah action figures have come so far since this take oh yeah, yeah. so in this issue number 10 the next best thing to being there. Uh Shockwave, first of all, we have a new artist, Ricardo Villamonte. the Shockwave has um he's kidnapped like a a bunch of workers. He's got human slaves working for him now to build everything that he needs to build. And what he's building is a giant like radio dish so he can call home to Cybertron. And um He's using the Constructicons to uh, gather all of the pieces that he needs. Now, the Constructicons are the very first new Decepticons that he's made, except that they don't have their own free will, because, Meg- because Optimus has given uh, the Matrix to somebody else. So they are fully functioning robots, but he programs them and commands them. They don't have control over themselves
2: do they not? Because they they act like they do. This this is one of the things that actually confused me because I know that uh, Optimus gave the creation matrix to Buster. That's <laughs> kind of cool. <laughs> almost spike. said Spike. I almost said Spike. Um, and that's why there's this whole issue later on with another Transformer that Shockwave creates has no personality. But in these few issues, I was expecting it had no personality, but Shockwave doesn't seem to notice anything wrong with them. So does he create
0: the first batch before think, he transfers I the like, Matrix out? Let I me feel go like back he had their
2: here. brains made with the creation Matrix before, it, before got it got transferred. That's the only logical explanation. But I think to contradict that, I think Optimus says, little does he know, I don't have it anymore. But I don't know. As far as I can tell, the guns have the personalized. They are complete because they don't make a big stink about this personality thing at all with the Constructicons. So I think they probably made the Constructicons, uh, at least their brains, before. I can't find any reference saying that. um... Oh, yeah, you know, it says right here. Um, This is page 224. Observe now as the process begins, each of the six carefully prepared brain modules already pulsates with the life infused within them by a creation matrix. So he's already, They've already made the brains.
0: Referencing back to Transformers number six. So let's see that.
2: Yeah. That. that yeah. So the the Constructicons are complete because um, their brains were already uh, created before Optimus gave the matrix to Buster.
0: But we never actually see that in Transformers number six. Doesn't look like it, at least.
2: Well, but- in issue six. That's where he got his brain zap. But it must have happened off off panel. panel, off panel. Okay. Yep. Sure, why not? Exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so I feel like Devastator is really cool, but he is not fully realized here. They gave a full page splash to Circuit Breaker, but the reveal, the big reveal of Devastator, you couldn't even tell his scale, like how big he is. This is on page 238. It's just a bad way to reveal.
2: Yeah, now that you mention it like that. I mean, in the next page, 239, you see him fighting with Ironhide, Bumblebee, and Prowl. Yeah. And technically, that is the correct scale. Because if you look at his left leg, that's Mixmaster. He's supposed to be about the same size as Ironhide. Like, one of the things about... like Scaling has always been a problem with the Transformers. <laughs> they, a lot of times in the cartoons, they depict him as this giant behemoth. But when you look at the individual pieces that make him up, he shouldn't actually be that big. That is probably about the correct scale. He should be on on page 239.
0: Yeah, but, you know, that always happens to giant robots. I mean, you look at, like, in Power Rangers, all of those, like, those those single machines are probably the sizes of, I would say, maybe a train, okay? Like a train car. And then when they all combine, Megatron towers over the tallest skyscraper in the whole city. Yeah. Or the Megazord whatever Megazord. the Megazord um but it's just um
2: but yeah that is there's, one that there's is no that sense yeah. of
0: how how devastating devastator is yeah. in this issue i would have liked to see that He's always been, a been referred
2: to as like like this giant juggernaut that the the, the Autobots always have trouble fighting. That would have been nice to have a full splash of him from with a Force perspective from below yeah. showing how monstrous he is compared to the other transformers. Absolutely.
0: But it's not meant to be.
2: No. But uh, the interesting thing is, uh, yeah, there's a lot more. Uh, this is another example of more dialogue from Soundwave where he's actually stressed and angry. Uh, bottom panel of 239, where he calls Devastator a miswired clod. Like you would not, you would <laughs> Devastator, never have.
0: You miswired
2: clod. <laughs> Get over here. <laughs> yeah, that's why I can't read no, uh, Comic exactly. Soundwave with that voice. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, not at
0: all. But it would make. But Bob never watched the TV show, so he would never have known
2: that Soundwave spoke like that. And actually, I'm really glad about that because it, it it lets him have fresh ideas and does whatever he wants yeah that the you'll notice that because there were so many incarnations of the Transformers storyline and everyone had their own bit to tell, there are some really good creative creatives that comes from everybody when they're given the freedom to do whatever they want
0: yeah um this issue has this little fellow uh what's his name the trucker
2: Bull, uh Bill, uh, Bomber Bill, Bomber Bill, yeah,
0: I like this guy. He was fun. <laughs> he he just kind of rolled with it and didn't question that there are giant robots all over the I place. I find and... a lot of the human characters in this
2: show, in this comic, do the same thing, though. It's <laughs> like, oh, giant robots? Okay.
0: Yeah, it was awesome. Yep, it was a, it was nice. And this has been a, a few issues that Buster has taken a back seat. We haven't like he'll be in a couple of panels experimenting with floating objects and stuff as his powers kind of manifest, but um, they're really focusing on other stuff at the moment and not him.
2: Which is good. I honestly don't really like Buster. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> nothing. I don't hate him, but, I mean, as a kid, the one thing I always disliked about the show and this was the human characters. I mean, as a kid, I didn't like it. I just wanted to see more robots.
0: So this is an issue where Huffer has a lot of character kind of character beats here because he um, at the beginning of this issue was spending a lot of time trying to come up with a communication a way to communicate with Cybertron and he almost opposes the the Autobots because he doesn't want to destroy um, the satellite dish that they've made because it's he they're actually successful in communicating with Cybertron um, so I thought that was like we heard, you were talking about gray area before. This is one of the examples where we have a, a good guy thinking that he, they shouldn't, he shouldn't do this. He he needs to kind of um, go against his comrades in this
2: sense. Notice how the there's pretty much no Optimus Prime, eh?
0: Yeah, isn't that weird? It's very strange. Like that's why there's a little bit of a battle here between um, like Ironhide and and Huffer. If if Optimus was here and he just said, destroy that thing, Huffer wouldn't have had any problem with that because it's Optimus. But because there's no leader, uh, there's kind of struggle within
2: the ranks, right? I forgot to mention that this is a, another thing I liked about um, the comics is that because Optimus is not there and he's not the central focus, uh, what my favorite character gets more screen time <laughs> or panel time is Prowl. He's uh, essentially in command of the Autobots right now. And um, he doesn't get a lot of play in the TV show that much. And he is actually, I think, he's very high-ranking. He's the Autobot tactician. And uh, he gets more play in the comics. uh, Page 231, you'll see them creating Skyfire. Oh, wait, do they call him Jetfire? Jetfire. They call him Jetfire. That is a huge story in itself. <laughs> Do you know about that? Well, I've read
0: some of the the editorial notes that are in this collection about um the the figure but um Oh, you have it.
2: I have. it. Nice. Sitting on my uh on my uh shelf there is Jetfire, the 1980s incarnation of uh of Jetfire in the TV show they call him Skyfire and he was drawn completely different. And if you look on page 231, they don't draw him like the TV show or the, uh, the toy incarnation. It's just a random white jet because I don't think they knew what they were going to do with them yet, how they were well, going to draw him.
0: The reason in that's given here on page 246, it says, the reason for this divergence in style, uh, Bandai Entertainment-based Jetfire's designs directly on the Japanese version of the Veritech fighter aircraft featured in the first Robotech animated series, the Macross Sega. Uh, which was undergoing a surge of interest in Japan in the mid-1980s. And since Bandai sold Harmony Gold the rights to the Veritech fighter, and since this aircraft is liberally utilized throughout Harmony Gold's Robotech anime, they outright refused Takara, Hasbro's Japanese counterpart, uh, the, the the toy distribution rights and disallowed Hasbro the animation rights to the similarly designed Jetfire because the Transformers cartoon was broadcast worldwide, impinging on the success of Robotech within the Japanese market. Therefore, Hasbro was allowed to distribute Jetfire's toy to the U.S. and U.K. markets, but Takara was not permitted
2: to use the toy in Japan. Which makes you wonder, like, in Japan, what did they have? Because if you guys don't know how this worked... The, all the toys of the Transformers were originally from Japan, but when they got brought to the U.S., they were made in the Transformers. And it was so popular that it went, ended up going back, back to, to Japan, Japan yeah. um, as Transformers. <laughs> so it was the same toys marketed twice in Japan. And I'm wondering now if they weren't allowed to use Jetfire in Japan. I don't know what they used. but Anyway. That, or they that, just don't have that yeah, toy. Maybe they don't have that. As a kid, I was always confused about why my toy did not match the television incarnation, or the comic book incarnation as well. So it's like, okay, the toy is called Jetfire. The toy looks like the Valkyrie, the Veritech fighter. The comic looks like the TV show, but it's called Jetfire. And the TV show looks like the comic, but called Skyfire. So (laughs) it's like, whatever. Yeah, It's a white jet. That's all you have to know with some red on it.
0: Okay, so let's go over to issue 11. This is called Brainstorm, and in this one, Shockwave creates Jetfire and sends him to kidnap Buster, but Buster now has full control over his new powers. Apparently, the Matrix power does not just give you the ability to create new robot life, but it allows you to completely understand robots and re- understand mechanics of all sorts. Like he can fix cars no problem now, which is making his dad really happy. And um, he can also take p- things apart with his mind. He's got some sort of telekinesis now. With metal. With, with metal, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this one's a good, um, um, a good issue. It's drawn by Herb Trimpey um who we mentioned at the beginning of this episode and uh and and it's got a really cool splash page on 266 of of Buster taking apart jetfire with his mind pretty cool stuff Yeah that's pretty good. This one has some really great character beats between Buster and his dad because his dad how has to reconcile with the fact that Buster does not act he really doesn't want to be a mechanic um, and that the, the the interest that he's shown was fake in these past few issues, and so Sparkplug has to kind of give Buster the freedom to make his own decisions, even if that means going with robots to be killed in their civil war.
2: <laughs> I totally get it, now, son. It's <laughs> like. <laughs>
0: Go and go and hang out with those aliens, those giant robot aliens. Yeah, it's fine. I,
2: I won't tell the government and you know the authorities about what's going on. I'll just trust your judgment. Yeah, this issue, uh I, I remember uh getting this and I was like, oh cool. My plane that's not really my plane is in an issue finally.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what a disappointment.
2: Oh man. That bugged me about the TV show too. I'm like, that's not what he looks like. Or vice versa. Maybe I watch a TV show and I'm like, why does my toy look like that? But uh, I thought it was fascinating that he is—he has no personality yet, and that uh, that Buster is able to actually control him. I thought that was actually a very clever way of doing that. Yeah, and no one knew that Buster has his powers either. So that. That's... Well, it,
0: yeah, um, Bumblebee knew. Was it Bumblebee? Um, because Optimus oh, told him. Oh yeah, them. sorry, sorry. Yes, but, but and sh- Bumblebee tries to warn Sparkplug um, to tell to tell Sparkplug that Spike has this these abilities. But Sparkplug completely dismisses Bumblebee, which was an odd move. It's like he didn't want to accept the truth. But if if the robot's coming and saying your son is in danger, wouldn't you probably find out how to save him or help him out?
2: Well, he doesn't like the robots, Curtis.
0: Yeah, but the robots are still telling the truth. And you know this because you've dealt with them in the
2: past. No, but you hate the robots. Ah. They used you.
0: It's true. <laughs> It's just Sparkplug is a very complex character. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, they're all they're all multi-dimensional. Yep. To be fair though, they they all the characters do like you, you gotta remember these first few issues, they're still trying to find their group. I mean, I know it's on issue eleven right now, but when you see some of the stuff they come up with later, it's actually quite fantastic. But yeah, these first few, they're they're pretty one dimensional characters.
0: Okay, shall we head on over
2: to number 12? Yes, number 12. This
0: is prime time.
2: Ooh, look, who's on the cover? It's Optimus Prime, who we haven't seen in, like... Like, seven issues or something. Like, more than half the year. (laughs) Yeah, well, we haven't haven't seen
0: him complete... Since he got blasted by Shockwave in issue number four, all those kids with auto, uh, Optimus Prime toys are just like itching.
2: Like, where? When are we yeah. gonna see him?
0: It's a it's a brutal move, um, but brilliant at the same time. And they they build the suspense and the drama month after month, waiting for Optimus's return. Of course, this is going to be, um, this is going to be great. But on the cover, he's blowing up Autobots. What the heck? I know. That was a big spoiler alert. I wish that it wasn't on the cover because the twist is actually pretty cool. Is
2: that still something they do these days with comic covers? I mean, I don't no, buy I the know. They don't spoil stuff like this anymore, do they?
0: Comic covers are just um, art pieces that showcase the characters in cool poses. They have nothing to do with the insides these days.
2: Yeah, because yeah, these covers, sometimes they really <laughs> well the surprise.
0: Yeah, because it's... Um, where, which, what page is this on? This is on page... Um, two eighty, where Optimus puts the head, his head back on, and then he turns around and, and blasts Ratchet, and like that would have been a great, uh, a great twist, surprise, a shocking yeah. surprise if we hadn't already seen it in the cover. Um, also, very poor layout for this twist as well, um, because the focal page, the focal is um, Optimus putting his head back on and then the fact that he turns around and blasts the Autobot is buried, it's obscured in this middle panel where everything's blue and small.
2: Yeah, that should have been a huge... A huge panel. twist. In fact, it would have been like... Maybe like a... A turn-the-page bat- turn kind, kind of... panel. Uh, yeah, a yeah. turn-the-page surprise. No, but we were excited because we finally get to see Optimus, and it, in the plan, the plan looked really good, um, how uh, Buster's using his head, literally, to uh, figure out how to rescue optimus no it was it was a really uh well done issue
0: yeah i thought it was good and we and the final face-off between optimus and shockwave was really great too and it's like we understand there is a catharsis here because you've been waiting
2: yeah for this to
0: happen yeah and 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 it's great and we're so happy that optimus is back and especially if you've been watching the show we're in season two now i think of the show but at this point because it's been over a year since, uh, since issue one of this comic. Because remember at the beginning it was bi-monthly. And they launched at the same
2: time. I don't remember. This is another thing that is also kind of uh, annoying. Is when they use a character like Optimus Prime. Or even a TV show. Any of the characters in that first season. You want those toys or those characters. But because they kept pumping out new characters in the toy line. The characters that you wanted that were always represented on the TV show, you couldn't get them anymore after a certain amount of time. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, at this the, point, the, it the was shells, really hard to get Optimus Prime. The
0: shelves were stocked with all of the the, the, next, the newest yeah. stuff. Yeah.
2: Now, uh, last issue, which is ironically <laughs> one of my favorite storylines in this. This issue. is
0: my favorite issue in this whole book. Um, this was I, so it's good. So,
2: it, why is it good?
0: I'll tell you why it's good. It's because it is. Um, it's it's a Twilight Zone episode.
2: Yes, it is. It is. Absolutely. No, you're right. <laughs> it is that. a
0: self-contained story of a man who finds a magic gun and becomes really successful and it ultimately ends up destroying him. Like it's it's perfect. It's a fantastic story. And I the think there's not even it's it's about the people. And a, I don't like I don't yeah. like
2: the people stories. I like the robot stories, but this it's fantastic. It's
0: just really well written. It's a great story. So yeah, this one, Joey Slick finds Megatron in gun form. Megatron we haven't seen in several issues since the the fight with Shockwave and he was knocked off a cliff and he transformed himself into gun mode in order to survive the fall, but it dislodged some circuits. So when Joey Slick finds this gun, I don't know why, but Megatron robot form says, I've Damage my circuits, so now I have to obey all orders from from humans or something like that, and uh, and so he uses this
2: newfound power to become a really big shot mobster. Yeah, he's just some like uh, lone shark collector at the beginning, really bottom of the totem pole, and uh, but well liked in the neighborhood. I love that yes, how yeah. like, everyone knows him. He gets along yeah. with everybody,
0: but that's to ex- accent the point when he becomes. The like the top of the crime family. Um, now he goes back to his family, his old neighborhood, and everyone's afraid of him. Uh, so they had to make that point at the beginning of the if, of the issue. But it was just such a good story, and it's a typical story that you would find in Marvel comics pre superhero days, mm-hmm. when all of their like Tales to Astonish and stuff all dealt with their eight page stories or whatever they were um, that dealt with space aliens or robots or whatever. This was the type of thing that would, that you would see in there stories that really challenge human morality and, and, and uh, play on the human psyche and stuff like that was the kind of stuff. And so
2: that it stood out. It, it was a great issue. Yeah, You'd think it would be a dumb issue, but it was, it's fun. <laughs> it's yeah. really fun to read that one. It's really good. So what'd you think of this first volume? Did you, did you like it? I loved it. Yeah. I mean, I didn't love all of it. There was
0: definitely issues that were a slog to get through and and but but overall, um like I like I said before I was surprised that of a the serious tone c- compared to the TV show and also that it had its own continuity apart from the TV show. So this isn't just a comic that supports the TV show. Because I was a big fan of Batman Adventures. I loved that comic because I loved the Batman the Animated Series. But those comics had no, no bearing on anything because... Because they couldn't do they anything. Couldn't. Yeah, you couldn't develop the characters or change the characters because they were going to do stuff in the TV show. But then you can't also establish your own continuity because it was a tie-in to the TV show. So, but this... I didn't realize that it was like this. And now I'm excited to read more because it's got its own life. Oh, the
2: stories in this. They are able to do such deep story arcs, especially because um, some of them take so many issues to tell. They can tell fantastic stories. It's a lot like comparing cinema to TV these days. Cinema, you can tell so much more in a season than you could in one two-hour movie. Yeah, And I find that the comics are like that, too. They, have, they delve into some really good uh, topics later on. And yeah, I like the more serious tone in it too. And a lot of the ideas that they do in the comics, they end up borrowing from the comics and putting them into the TV show. Mm-hmm. So it works both ways. Yeah. Because you've got two cr- different uh, creative teams coming up with the storylines. And then
0: when you read the later Transformers comics that are published in modern day, uh, like IDW and stuff, they take the best of all of the worlds and put them all together, which is kind of cool. Oh, yeah. It's like I was
2: telling you the other day. Um, my favorite incarnation to date uh nostalgia is obviously affecting part of this but the best incarnation i can think of right now is transformers prime the television show if i if i you can correct me if i'm wrong but i think that the creators of that show they are about our age they grew up in the 80s and they were fanboys of transformers themselves and so they yeah. they hold these characters quite dear and so what they did was they took all the best parts of every incarnation of the Transformers and, and actually worked them into one storyline and were able to, you know, get rid of any contradictions that might arise. Because remember, these comics, they, they were coming up with ideas as they came along. So sometimes they would have given a great idea and instead of ditching the good idea because it would have contradicted with something earlier, they would have just gone with it. And <laughs> right. hope no one would have cared. Which is a good thing actually, because it didn't box them in and write themselves in the holes. Well, this was a good book and I'm glad we had this conversation about it. Oh, it gets better. The like you'll you'll see, the later issues, they are fantastic. Awesome. And the artwork also evolves a lot too. You'll notice I mean, obviously with different artists, you'll have different art styles, but it really evolves later on. Um, well, I can't wait
0: to dive into those. I think that's going to be really interesting. I'm going to go home and rewatch my Transformers cartoons and <laughs> uh, and just get more immersed into this. Uh, it's just fun rediscovering this kind of stuff. And then for myself, discovering new stories that I've never
2: read before. It's funny, too, because like uh, going back and reading these, I haven't read comics from this era in a long time. So it's kind of refreshing to see the old art styles. It's yeah. not perfect. Like, it's absolutely not. And some of it's downright atrocious. But there is something nice about seeing that that's not completely polished.
0: Right. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, and that's something for modern readers. If you're diving into this book for the first time, you have to kind of put on your 1980s glasses and understand how comic
2: books were made and just the style and era that, that we're in. I mean, I didn't know until years, like way after I'd grown up out of reading these, that i didn't understand how the coloring process worked i oh, didn't yeah. know they only had so many colors i used to wonder like, even with my archie's like why do they do these uh these all purple panels where they're all in shadow like why do they do that <laughs> why don't they just use the correct colors all the time I'm like oh because they couldn't because yeah. they only had a limited palette for each page right it's like oh okay Oh, well, that wow that explains so many things
0: <laughs> yeah yeah it's pretty cool well do uh, you want to go back for
2: volume two at some point? Oh, yeah, for sure. If you uh, want to, if anyone is interested in listening to this again about a couple of guys nerd out about robots that transform, then yeah, absolutely. Well,
0: I learned a lot, that's for sure. I'm glad that you bring your expertise and your yeah, stuff you know, in there. Yeah,
2: you know, because I remember as a, as when we were kids, you were not really into them. Like, you had a couple, but you didn't really, like, I, I was a diehard fan. I, and a lot of kids our age were, we were in kindergarten when it was in its, uh, when the movie came out, I
0: was more into Thundercats. I had so many of those guys and, um, I had a lot of, uh, Ninja Turtles and f- some Ghostbusters as well that I liked more. We,
2: ha- yeah, we were definitely the toy, the, the toy TV tie in generation. We? <laughs> yes, we were, we, were. we were it.
0: Yeah. Oh, he man. I had a few he man toys. as Cause well. Cause for
2: us, it was, yeah, it was transformers. And then it was, I think I can't remember which came first. Ghostbusters or Ninja Turtles. I think it was Ghostbusters first and then Ninja Turtles. Like there was a, was it was all, big, it that, was all. It was all one yeah. right after the other. There, but Transformers is so huge, and I and it's. I had so many Transformers because after after the hype died, after the series ended, um, you could find Transformers at like flea markets for a quarter. I bought so many. <laughs> we never had them as because they were expensive too. They were not cheap. And You don't have them anymore. No, what I had, I had so many of them because I had bought them at garage sales for like, like literally. 25 cents 50 cents a piece missing guns and whatnot but they were still there themselves but then i grew out of it and i sold all of them i maybe had a like hundred of them whoa i sold all of them for like 30 bucks 40 whoa. bucks to this other guy who was older than me that was collecting them and i kept a few i kept uh i kept jet fire and ultra magnets they, they have sentimental value because um but i kept uh, i kept my major ones but all the other guys i sold and what happens after all of us turn twenty, twenty-five? They become huge again. They become right. huge in the collector market, yeah. and everybody. Oh,
0: don't get me started. I had Castle Grayskull. I had that stuff's uh, worth. I had tons um, of money now. Ecto one, and Ecto two, and Ecto three. Oh. It's like I had all those things. Yeah. And I don't
2: have them anymore because we never knew. Like we, this whole uh, nostalgia thing with people our age, because we never, we were. We were brainwashed into wanting this stuff as kids and we couldn't get this stuff and now that we have money we're unfortunately spending it on this stuff <laughs> trying to relive our childhood yep. and everyone knows it so they're like marking this stuff up the yin yang I mean I saw <laughs> I'm like I had Omega Supreme I got it for 10 bucks yeah Now he's like some ridiculous amount of money for a first generation Omega Supreme like okay
0: sure. I have um the only transformer I have these days is uh, Optimus Prime and it's the I think it's the because the the Gen One version has the gray tractor trailer. Yeah, you have the Gen Two. I have two. the Gen Two. The, the black, black trailer, one, yeah. right,
2: with the sound effects mm-hmm. box. That's on right, it. sound effects box. I'm missing one hand. I, oh, I lost it. I lost oh. one hand. The newer Transformers, and, and by the way, like I still love these Transformers. If if you are if you are of my age, I'm, I'm in my late thirties, and you haven't touched a Transformer since you were a kid. I remember when I saw the newer incarnations of the toys and I thought, these do not look like the Transformers I had as a kid. These look like trash. (laughs) They really do. I take it all back. They are so ingeniously designed and they're designed to pose. They are literally action figures. Like ours as a kid's, like you turn them into a robot, but you couldn't move them. Some of them just literally just stood there and posed. Right. The new ones are so intricately designed and they do not have, the kibble, like the leftover pieces that you didn't know what to do with. Like we had, like, <laughs> yeah. the ones that kids lost, like Optimus' hands. Right. Coming off. like, Yeah.
0: Okay, well, let's wrap it up. I think we've t- been talking for over two hours now, so we should probably <laughs> stop. Um, this was great and we will be back uh, at some point for Transformers.